Bless God. You're glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning. He is a good God. Before you see it, turn to your neighbor and tell him you love him. In Jesus' name. Bless the Lord. You can go, if you want to, to the book of Acts, chapter 19. We're going to get there in a moment. Very quickly, let me just say that last week we began a brand new series that we have simply entitled The Prevailing Wind, How the Holy Spirit Can Change a City. And again, for those of you that maybe were not here last week, we are referring to the Holy Spirit throughout this series as the wind, understanding that He is not the wind, understanding that He is not a wind, He is a person. He is the third person in the triune God. We believe in one God, in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Holy Spirit is not a force, an energy, some impersonal power. He is a person, the person of God coming to live inside of each and every one of us, empowering us for life and service because we believe that we cannot serve God acceptably, we cannot live for God acceptably without the presence of the Holy Spirit within our hearts and within our lives. And so the reason that we're referring to him as the wind is because remember Jesus when he talked about the Holy Spirit said that his work in our lives would be like the wind. That as the wind blows where it wants to, it comes when it wants to, it goes when it wants to, so also is the working of the Spirit in our lives. We can't make the Holy Spirit show up. We can't make the Holy Spirit do what we want Him to do. The Holy Spirit comes and He goes as He pleases, as He wants and as He wills. All that we can do as believers is prepare ourselves for the sudden movement of the Holy Spirit so that we can be led and directed by Him in all things. So that's why we're referring to Him as the wind and again prevailing. Um, We're coming out of Acts 19 because in a couple of weeks uh, you're going to see how when the Holy Spirit is free to move in a church and free to move in our lives as He wills, that He causes the Word of God to grow mightily and to prevail. And that is true even of the day that we live. If we will just get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit move, there is no telling what He can do, not only in New Jersey, but around this world, in Jesus' mighty and holy name. Can you say amen to that, if you believe it? The reason we say that is because last week we said that many of us are deeply concerned about the direction our nation is going in morally, but we also recognize that there have been other times in the history of this nation where we have gone through very difficult seasons But those difficult seasons have provided an opportunity for believers to really pray and ask God to move in our land, and there was a great spiritual awakening that was birthed out of that time of prayer. In fact, as we said last week, throughout our history, we see how this nation was established on revival, that it was sustained in times of crisis during revival, and we believe that our only hope of survival in this hour hour is an awakening again, is a spiritual revival, which simply means that the hope of this nation really begins here. The hope of this nation begins in every house of God that is dedicated to Him. It's God working through us that brings a nation back 
for the glory and for the honor of Almighty God. And we see this in our text throughout this series. It's Acts 19. And I just want to read where we were last week. I'm not going to really comment on it, but I want you to have the context again. It says there in verse 1, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, and those were the upper regions of ancient Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, came to the city of Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And as we said last week, a more uh, accurate translation would be, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said to him, well, we've not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And again, more accurately translated, they were saying, we didn't hear that the Holy Spirit came. No one told us that the Holy Spirit was actually available to us today. And so Paul said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said to him, into John's baptism. This would be John the Baptist, the forerunner to Christ. And then Paul said to them, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance. But he went on to say that people should believe on him who would come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. These were followers of Christ, but the only baptism that they had ever heard of was the baptism of John, which was a baptism of repentance, of sin. And, and what, what Paul brought up to them is, well, that's true, but even John said, look for the one who's coming after me, because he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. Repentance is necessary to turn from sin, but the power of the Holy Spirit is necessary to live free from sin and to live for the glory and for the honor of God. And so when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues, and they prophesied. Now, the men were about twelve in all. And Paul went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And and, uh, we're not really sure who he was. It, It appears that he was a Greek philosopher that had a school that taught philosophy. But he had a leaning towards Paul, and so he opened up his school and allowed Paul to use it as a ministry center. And this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So you think about it. Paul comes into the city of Ephesus, and he finds 12 disciples. And then, all of a sudden, over the next couple of years... Every citizen living in Asia, not just Ephesus, but in all of Asia, had heard a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not everyone became a believer, but everyone heard the gospel in just two years. How did they go from 12 disciples in one city to everyone hearing the gospel in that whole region of ancient Asia Minor? It can only be contributed to the Holy Spirit being poured out upon those 12 men there in the city of Ephesus. And what we're simply saying is that the same Spirit that was poured out upon them 2,000 years ago is the same Spirit that is available to us 2,000 years later. And what He did then, He is able to do today in Jesus' mighty name. Do you believe that? Come on, give Him praise if you do. All right. 
Now, last week, I don't know if you remember this, but I shared a very passing comment with you that there is a supernatural dynamic to this Christian faith that sadly is being ignored and even neglected in Christianity, especially in the United States of America. No one wants to talk about the supernatural part of this Christian faith. No one wants to talk about miracles and healings and signs and wonders. We just neglect it altogether. And I even struggle with saying that there is a dynamic of supernatural within the Christian faith because the reality is it is supernatural. We are saved supernaturally as the Holy Spirit causes us to be born again into the image of Almighty God. Even the Bible that we read is of supernatural origin because it wasn't written by man. It was actually given to man by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So even the Bible you read is of a supernatural origin. Can you say amen to that? And yet today we're very uncomfortable with this supernatural dynamic that is in our faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. It seems like everything we want to be explainable. We want it to be predictable. We want to be able to reason it out and to be intelligent and it to be intellectual. And we, we don't want this mystique, this mystery, this supernatural to be a part of our Christian faith. But can I just tell you, it shouldn't be that way. You know, we shouldn't be that way, and, and it's sad because we do. We want everything to be cerebral, we want it to be intellectual, and I get it. I really do. I, I understand where that's coming from because, listen, I've been in Pentecost all of my life. This is all I've ever known, and through the years, there have been many people who, in the name of Pentecost, and even more importantly, in the name of the Holy Spirit, have done some very ridiculous stupid things that have perverted and distorted the beauty of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Can I just tell you that the Holy Spirit is not undignified. The Holy Spirit would never do anything that would turn the work of the Lord into a sideshow and a circus. And it is sad. I've been in, like I said, I've been Pentecost all my life. And I have watched people doing ridiculous things in the name of the Holy Spirit that have only caused men and women to become very concerned about the supernatural altogether. And so as we get defensive in an, in a, an attempt to protect ourselves, we swing the pendulum all the way over to the other side, and now we don't talk about it at all. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit. We don't talk about spiritual gifts. We don't talk about miracles. We don't talk about healings. We don't talk about the supernatural intervention of God within our hearts and within our lives. We don't even allow for it in our services anymore. We have our plan and we have agendas and we move right on and we never just give an opportunity for the Lord to move among us because we're afraid that things are going to get weird. Or that they're going to get out of hand. Well, can I just tell you, I understand that. But here is the danger of removing all the traces of the supernatural. Because you cannot you know, take away something without giving up something else. And here is what I see as a result of trying to remove all traces from, of the supernatural from the body of Christ. And that is you won't pray... 
and you will not cultivate an ongoing developing relationship with the Holy Spirit. If you take the supernatural out of the Christian faith altogether and you want to remove all traces of it from our faith, I guarantee you won't be long before you won't pray another day and you will never develop a personal and intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, why would you say that? Well, if God never supernaturally intervenes in the affairs of man, why would I pray? I mean, why would I pray if I am convinced that God does not intervene in human affairs and does the miraculous from time to time, then why would I pray? And if everything I need in life is right here in the Bible, and don't misunderstand me, the Word of God is absolutely imperative to our walk, but if I can just absorb enough information so that I can figure it out all on my own, then why do I need the Holy Spirit? And so if you are not convinced that our God is supernatural and that He moves supernaturally in our midst, we won't pray and we won't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, which means that we'll raise up men and women who are very religious but have no relationship with God whatsoever. And it also means that our churches will have man-made ideas and man-made programs and plans that may draw great crowds of people to our churches, but will have an outward form of religion and godliness, but we will have no power that actually transforms lives. Do you know that the Apostle Paul actually saw this coming? He prophesied in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 these words, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. That word perilous means savage, it means dangerous. So he says perilous, savage, dangerous times will come. And as he goes through the perils, listen to the one he points out here. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people Turn away. Can I tell you that in Paul's estimation, the most dangerous men and women to hang around are religious men and women who have an outward form of religion but have no power within their heart and within their life. And what Paul was saying is, I can see through the Spirit the day coming when men and women will have a form of godliness. There'll be an, a facade, there'll be a, an outward show, they'll come to church on Sunday morning, they will talk about their wonderful relationship with God, but as you begin to peel back the layers of that facade, you will find inside there is no relationship with God. There is no supernatural working of God's presence in their heart and in their life. And from these people, he says, you need to turn away from them. Folks, let me tell you, We need to once again return to a supernatural God and believe that God still moves among us in supernatural ways. In Jesus' name. Now, some of you may say, well, why are you saying this this morning? Well, I'm saying it because I want you to see today what the Holy Spirit began to do in the city of Ephesus once he was poured out upon those 12 disciples. It's there in verse 11, same chapter, Acts 19, and verse 11 it says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs 
or aprons, and handkerchiefs is probably better translated sweatbands. Literally, he's talking about the bands that he would wear around his forehead to collect sweat so it wouldn't fall into his eyes. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Now, we didn't talk about this at all last week. Let me just backtrack very quickly here. When Paul first came to Ephesus, he was starting a church. So he didn't have any financial support at all. So Paul did what he would typically do. By trade, Paul was a tent maker. And so historians tell us that from dawn till about 11 o'clock in the morning, he would make tents. And then from 11 through about 5 or 6 o'clock at night, he would uh, teach there in that school of Tyrannus and would train and would disciple the men and women who were being saved. So when people would come to him while he was working and they had family members or friends who were sick or even oppressed or possessed by demonic powers and he couldn't go, he would give them his apron, he would give them his sweatband and they would take it to the sick and the afflicted and immediately they were healed and delivered by the power of Almighty God. That's amazing. This morning I want to talk to you about miracles. Because can I just tell you this? We believe in miracles. We believe in the supernatural. At least four of us here today do. We believe in the miracles of God. We believe in the supernatural power of God. We believe that God heals. We believe that God delivers. We believe that God is still using the spiritual gifts that are given to us in the Word of God to manifest that He is among us, that He not only forgives sin, but He also sets the captive free in Jesus' name. We believe that God heals the body. We believe in demonic activity. So we believe, in, even as we sung this morning, that in the name of Jesus, every demon has to flee. In the name of the Lord. How many of you believe in the miraculous today, in the supernatural? We believe that. Now, now, some of you may be saying, well, Pastor Kurt, I, I know that we believe that. Why are you emphasizing that today? Why do you feel this need to really underline that and highlight it? Well, it's because, believe it or not, there are many, and I got to sadly report that that number is growing within the Christian faith who no longer believe that miracles are for today. And it's catching hold. There are men and women today who do not believe in the miraculous. They do not believe that it is for today, that those gifts are not for today whatsoever. In fact, there are those who believe and teach with great passion. In fact, with the same passion today that I'm preaching to you that the miraculous is for today, they will tell you that the miraculous is not for today. They would tell you that the signs are over that the supernatural interventions of God are not for the day that we live in. They were for specific people at a specific time. And when those people passed away and those times departed, then so also did God uh, lift the supernatural intervention from the earth. Well, listen, before I begin to break that down scripturally for you, here's the thing I would like you to consider. If you locked a new believer into a room... And you handed them the Bible, and you told them to read it, 
and to study every portion of Scripture that deals with healing and with signs and wonders and miracles, I can tell you this. Without a doubt, no one would come out of that room later and have drawn the conclusion that miracles are not for today. They just wouldn't. I, I, just be honest. If you gave someone a Bible that just had no, uh, any religious slant to it, no denominational teaching, you just gave them the Word of God and say, listen, go in here and read it and write down everything that deals with signs and wonders. There's no way they would come out of that room convinced that miracles have ceased. They would conclude that miracles are a natural part of the Christian life in Jesus' name. No one ever picked up the Bible, started reading it, and arrived at the conclusion that miracles have ceased. Which means that those who believe they did cease didn't arrive at that conclusion biblically, but rather arrived at that conclusion emotionally or based upon their experiences. You know, it's really funny. Because a lot of people point their fingers at the Pentecostals and they say, you know, everything you believe is based upon your experiences and your emotions. And yet, sometimes they're the greater culprit of that very thing. What I'm simply saying is because they never saw a miracle, because there was never a miracle in their life, then they simply are imposing those experiences upon the Word of God and they conclude that God has stopped moving that way. I've never seen a miracle. A miracle has never happened in my life. I've never witnessed a legitimate one. So therefore, I'm going to impose that on the Scriptures that I read and draw the conclusion God doesn't heal any longer. But can I tell you, nowhere, nowhere in the Word of God does it even remotely suggest that God has ceased from moving miraculously? There is not one verse in the entire Bible that even remotely hints to the thought that God was one day going to remove His supernatural power from the earth and that all we would have is the Bible to just kind of guide us, but we would have no supernatural intervention within our lives. Some of you are probably saying, well, where are they getting it then? So can I just take a moment here? And this is not going to be an exhaustive study. This is just going to be, in a nutshell, what they believe. They'll take scriptures like this. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. And they'll read, Having built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And they'll couple it with scriptures like 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 12, which says, truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Now, what they'll do is they'll take scriptures like these, and what they'll say is that even though the Bible doesn't say that they will cease one day, the Bible has a very specific purpose for signs and wonders, and once that purpose was served, there was no longer any need for supernatural miracles and signs and wonders. So what they will say from those verses is, God raised up the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles to give to you and I the word of the Lord. And because we didn't have a Bible back then, 
And there was no way to really test whether their words were from God or not from God. God gave them the supernatural ability to perform signs and wonders and mighty deeds to verify that those words that they were speaking were from God. That they were there to validate, that they were there to authenticate those words so that seeing the signs and wonders, you would know that it was God who was actually speaking. But what they would say is, because we wouldn't argue with that, I believe that myself, but what they will go on to say is, now that we have the Bible, and now that revelation has ceased, and God has stopped speaking real revelation, okay, we understand that, that there's no longer a need for signs and wonders. That God no longer needs to perform the supernatural because we already have the word of God in our hands. Now let me just say this. Because I believe everything that they just said. But still, those scriptures and all the other ones that they read, they still don't say that God was going to stop doing signs and wonders one day. It just says that there was a time when God was raising up the prophets in the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles to give us the word and the signs were there to verify and confirm that the word was true. But it doesn't say that there would be an end to the supernatural at all. In fact, I think that the supernatural today just continues to confirm that the word of God we preach and teach is the true word of the living God Almighty. Can you say amen to that? Okay. The other thing I would say to that is no one, no one is suggesting that the gifts that we experience today are on the same level as the ones that the apostles and the prophets saw because we do have the word of God today. And no one's taken away from that at all. Listen, I love the word of God. And that's why my sermons are filled with scripture. And that's why I take time to study the word of God because this is The closed revelation of Almighty God. God is not writing new scripture. Can you say amen? We build our lives upon the authority of God's word. What does that mean? It means that when somebody comes up to you and says, I have a word from God. Or when somebody says, I have a prophetic word. Well, that's okay. I'm open to that. But let me just serve you notice. If it contradicts this, you're a false prophet. It's just that simple. This word trumps every revelation that man is supposing to give. Can you say amen to that? What it also means is this. That if somebody in my presence lays hands on the sick and they recover, but then they go on to say something that contradicts this word, they are lying signs and wonders. And they are not directing me towards Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of people say, well, they've got to be from God. Look at the miracle that was performed. Your Bible tells you that even if the miracle that they do is true, if what they say is false, you throw it all away. And the Bible even speaks it in the last days. There'll be lying signs and wonders. We don't follow the supernatural. We follow the Word of God and believe that following the Word of God, signs and wonders follow. In Jesus' mighty name. Okay, The Holy Spirit gave these foundational truths to these precious men of faith, confirmed it by the supernatural. But it doesn't say that they ended. It doesn't. I mean, think about it. If the gifts of the Holy Spirit were just for the apostles and the prophets, 
And if it was just for the confirmation of the scriptures until the Bible was given, then why would the apostle Paul have even talked about gifts with the church? I mean, think about it. Wouldn't that just be adding confusion? If they were all being done away with one day, then why would he even take the time to tell the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that the Holy Spirit would distribute gifts as he wills? Why would he say in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse number 31, for you can call or for you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged? Why did he say in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless he in, indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification or the church may be built up. So it doesn't make any sense to me. Why would Paul speak to the church about the gifts of the Spirit, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, miracles and the supernatural, if it was only for the apostles and if it was only for their day? These would have been confusing scriptures. Folks, there's no way around it. Whether you can get your mind around it, whether you can figure it out, miracles are for today. God still moves supernaturally. And, and you know what I want you to get from this message? More than just miracles being available to you, I want you to understand this, that if you will draw near to the Lord and you will empty yourself of yourself and your agenda, God has even been known to work through you and I to do the miraculous in Jesus' mighty name. How many of you think your workplace could use some supernatural intervention? <laughs> How many of you think that your family could use some supernatural intervention? And what God says is, I'm not going to guarantee it, but if you'll always be open, if you'll walk in the Spirit, then at any moment I can use you to do supernatural things in the earth in Jesus' mighty name. Can you say amen to that if you believe it? You know, turn to your neighbor and say, He can do that through you. Now tell them to get their act together so he can do it. <laughs> no, don't say that to them. Okay, listen. There's a couple of things I want you to see. And we're going to try to leave enough time try. Because I really, I don't talk about this often. And I want to take my time. But we're going to try to spend some time praying for people today. Because I believe that the presence of the Lord is here. And where he is here, God is able to do a miracle. So we want to pray, you know, tonight or this morning. But I want to tell you a couple of things. First of all, only God can work miracles. I need a better amen than that. Only God can work miracles. Only God can heal people. And we got to set that straight. The Bible says right there in our text, now God worked unusual miracles. Who worked unusual miracles? Who worked unusual miracles? God. Only God can work miracles. God worked unusual miracles. I laugh every time I read that. God worked unusual miracles as opposed to your everyday usual miracles. You know, you know the, the garden variety ones you see every day. God worked unusual miracles. Actually, in the Greek language, believe it or not, it means um, miracles not of the ordinary kind. God was working miracles, not of the, uh, uh, the ordinary kind. In other words, in that day, miracles 
ordinarily happened. It was just a regular part. Now, that doesn't mean that it happened every time, but it just means that they saw that on a a more regular basis. But there were times when God even just went above and beyond. And that doesn't always happen. What, What was he talking about? Well, we know in the book of Acts that there were times when Peter would walk by the sick and just his shadow falling upon them, they would be healed. In this case, you know, again, Paul can't get away from work, so he gives them his headband, he gives them a apron, and they lay it on them, and they are healed by the power of God. But what I want you to see is whether there are ordinary or extraordinary miracles, whether they are usual miracles or unusual miracles, it is only God that can work miracles. Paul did not do anything unusually miraculous. God is the one who did unusual miracles. And we've got to, now I know I'm not going to get an argument out of you on that. There's not one of you that will leave here saying, no, you know what, Pastor Kurt, I'm sorry. There are men that can perform miracles. No, listen, we know it's only God that can perform miracles. Only God. But isn't it amazing how quickly we forget? And we start chasing men and women rather than going after God. I remember a number of years ago on a Sunday morning, just in the worship, I just felt the Lord say this to, to my heart. And I just said, listen, I just feel the Lord is here to heal. And I said, what I'd like you to do right now is just to put one hand on the area that you are infirmed and just put the other hand up to the Lord and just ask him to heal you. And do you know that there was a woman sitting on the front row that was instantly healed of a chronic chronic stomach issue. And, and I, I actually talked to him just a couple of weeks ago and said, has that ever come, and we're talking probably 16 years ago or so. And I said, has that ever come back? And they said, absolutely not. That day I was transformed and I've never had that stomach issue again in Jesus' name. So praise the Lord, you know. It happens. That's great. But here's what happened. The next Sunday I got up and I told everyone that. And she said that after service, there were probably 15 people that came up to her and said, would you pray for me? See, we, we begin to think that there's something special about people rather than realizing it's God who heals. God is our healer. And he may have used someone to bring a healing through, but we don't chase them. God is our healer. Can you say Amen. If we're not careful, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll just start following man. I, I read in the book of Acts of, of a healing that took place in the city of Lystra when God raised up a crippled man through the hands of the apostle Paul. But when the citizens saw that, they immediately began to consider Paul a god and worshipped him. And listen to what Paul says. I love it. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you. And preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them. Why are you looking at us? We're people just of the same nature as you are. We're turning you to God because he's the one that not only created the heavens, the earth, and the sea, but all that is in them. Why would you turn to us when we don't have any power to heal? Turn to the Lord. He is your healer. 
Peter had the same issue happen to him at the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Cornelius was the first Gentile to receive the Holy Spirit. And when Peter came to Cornelius' house, Cornelius, just being naive, began to worship Peter. And Peter lifted him up and said, stand up, I myself am also a man. I think it's so interesting that those apostles who were mightily used by God were always trying to deflect attention. Don't look at us. Look to Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. Turn to him. God is the one. Don't look at me. That is directly the opposite of what we do in the church today. Because today there are people that say, God has anointed me to heal the sick. Send me your money. These apostles did everything they could to get the attention off of them and direct them towards the Lord. Only God can work a miracle. Only God can heal the sick. Only God can cast out demons. Only God can deliver the bound in Jesus' name. Jesus, or God said to us in Exodus 15 and 26, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His sight, give ear to His commandments and keep all the statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. In Psalm 103, in verse number 1, He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. I love Isaiah 53 in verse number 4. You know, a great testimony and prophetic word given some 700 years before Jesus was even born. It was concerning the crucifixion of Jesus and it says, Surely he, speaking of the Messiah, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. What you would miss in the English translation is that in the Hebrew, griefs is actually translated pains, Sorrows is translated sicknesses. And to remove any doubt of what I just said to you, when it was fulfilled in Jesus' day, Matthew records in Matthew 8 and verse 16 and 17, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Can I tell you, he is the great physician. He has carried your sicknesses away. He has bore your infirmities. He is the Lord that heals us. Can you thank him today that he is your healer? In Jesus' name. But the other thought I want you to get from this is that God, at his discretion, works through us. Not only are miracles available to you, but you can be used by God. You can't work miracles, but God at his discretion can work miracles through us. Do you believe that? Probably 15 of you do. I wanna, we're getting better, but I want to get it to a place where all of you who believe upon the Lord can see yourself as a vessel through which God can do these things in Jesus' name. How do we know that? Because what it says Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. 
And some of you say, well, well, that was just Paul. But listen, we can all do this. In Luke 9 and verses 1 through 2, then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And guess what? This is the same gospel of the kingdom of God we preach today. And there is no reason why God at times will not give us power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Again, I can't heal anyone. And it means that I can't just go up indiscriminately and just say, you're going to be healed. Because I'm not the one calling the shots. That's God. But I can present myself as a vessel to be used by the Lord any time that he sees fit. Now, with that, there's a couple of things that I want to say. And probably some of you are not going to like me after I say these things. But i got to say them anyway, because I'm not interested in being your friend. I am called to be your pastor. And so, even though you may find a million voices outside of this church that will tell you the opposite of what I am going to say to you right now, I'm just telling you, this is what the Word of God says. It's not even my opinion, it's what the Bible says. First of all, and hear me all the way out on this, no one has or possesses the gift of healing. Now, don't misunderstand me. I believe in the gift of healing, but no one has that. No one possesses that gift. Somehow it got into our minds that God gives somebody the gift of healing, and now, watch out, here I come. That they can, that they can heal at will. That they can drum it up and, and he, listen, that is not, the Bible says this, that the Holy Spirit distributes the gifts as He wills. So the Holy Spirit could come upon you one time and use you to bring about a healing in someone's life and you may never be used in that again. Just because you were used one time in prophecy doesn't mean that now you have the gift of prophecy and mm, I can rule the world. It's not that that is just so twisted The Holy Spirit moves as he wills. He comes and he goes as he pleases. And that's why I say, walk in the Spirit. Because you never know when the Holy Spirit might come upon you to do a work and then give him all the glory and all the honor. Now with that, I want to tell you something else. No one can teach you how to use that gift either. Isn't that ridiculous? You have the Holy Spirit who is your teacher. He will train you. The man can't, tra- can you imagine the audacity? And yet there are, there are conferences going on around this country. Come to our conference. We'll teach you how to flow in the, in, in the pathetic. I mean the prophetic, sorry. We, we're we're going we're gonna to teach you how to flow with the prophetic. Are you kidding me? That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Or we're going to teach you how to be more effective in the ministry of healing. What? Where did it ever get into our minds that man can teach us? That we can manipulate and we can work these things up? Here is what I've discovered in my own life. Walk in the Spirit. And when He wants to use me, He will train me, show me how to do it. Do it right then. I'll do it, and I may never be used that way again. I'm just open 
for whatever God wants to use me for. In Jesus' name. Now, I know some of you are getting angry because you say, well, wait a minute. What about this faith healer? Everybody gets healed at, at their meeting. They know how to wield it. Now, listen to me. First of all, don't believe everything that's on TV. Okay? There's no way to verify those miracles. And I'm not saying that some people are not healed, but there's no way to verify it. But here's the other thing I would like you to consider. There are a lot of people that go to those meetings. They love the Lord. And their eyes are on Jesus only. And God heals them in spite of the person that's on the stage in Jesus' name. Okay? What's amazing to me also in this training on how to do healing is that there's always money involved. should never be that way, folks. Come on. The Holy Spirit is your teacher, and he will instruct you. You're just a vessel. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 says it this way. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. You're a vessel. I've used this illustration in the past, and I'm going to use it again because I, 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 it's helped me understand things through the years. It's so simple. But, you know, in our, in our cupboards at home, we have, you know, just the plastic cups like everybody else does that we just use for everyday stuff, just the cups. And then we have coffee mugs, and we have teacups, and we have glasses, and we have, you know, glasses for water. We have glasses for orange juice. You know, we get all of these different vessels. Now, yes, there's designations to them. But let me just tell you, if I'm out mowing my lawn one day and it's hot and I come in and I'm thirsty and I want a Coke and I go to the cupboards, but all of the cups are in the dishwasher and the only thing available is a coffee mug, guess what? I don't look at the coffee mug and say, oh, shoot, I guess I can't have my Coke. You know, I pull out the coffee cup and I put the Coke in the coffee pot because it's at my discretion. It may be a vessel designated for something, but I choose what goes into the vessel. Folks, you're a vessel, and God chooses what he's going to put in you at any given time. All you do is just say, Lord, here am I. Use me as you see fit in Jesus' name. Okay? So, so please, save your money. Don't go to a conference. Don't buy a book. Just get to know the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. All right. Boy, I, I know I should probably stop, but I got I to gotta tell you one more thing, okay? I get, well, a few more things, actually. Here's the million-dollar question. Why don't we see more miracles? That is the million-dollar question. And this is where people go askew. Because everybody feels like they've got to explain the lack of miracles. So you have the one camp that says, well, I can explain it right now. God doesn't do it anymore. The reason we don't see miracles is because God doesn't do it anymore. Well, that's convenient. Because God forbid that it's something I've done to offend him. So it's just easier to blame my powerlessness on God. Say, well, God just doesn't do it anymore. That's a cop-out. Then there's other people that say, well, they, they don't have enough faith. Well, there's some truth to that. We'll talk about that in a second. But what I would say is, how much faith does it really take? 
Because I remember reading of, a, of Jesus going to a father of a son who was demon-possessed and saying to him, do you believe? And the father said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Wow. How much does it really take? God knows what life is like. And he sees the struggles that we have. And I'm thankful that he is a merciful and gracious God. Now, some people say, well, there's secret sin in their life. Well, that's a, that's a valid point, too. I don't know that everybody that is not healed is a sinner, though. And technically speaking, just about every person that Jesus healed during his ministry was not even saved. And almost everyone that he healed, he never even talked about their sin. He just healed them out of compassion. So, you know, a lot of these arguments that we come up with, they just don't hold up to the Word of God. So can I offer you some more biblical reasons why maybe we don't see miracles? Number one, and we're going to get this one out of the way, because, again, some of you are not going to like me when I say this. But the reality is sometimes we don't see miracles because sometimes it's just not God's will. It's sometimes it's just not God's will. I struggle when people say it's God's will all the time to heal every person. Boy, you're putting yourself up on a really, really high level with God. Because listen, what I've come to discover is that faith in God is trusting Him when He says yes and trusting Him when He says no. I don't always understand it, but I don't have to defend God. Sometimes it's just not God's will. I don't know everything that's going on in your life. We were just talking about it with, with one of the, the elders today. It's like when I lay my hands on someone, I, I hear their cry, but I don't know what's going on in them. The Bible actually says that if I take communion in an unworthy manner, I'm eating and drinking judgment to myself. And the Bible actually says it's for this reason that some are sick. So I could be praying for a healing for you, but if there is sin there, you know, I don't know the will of God. I don't know how God is working it all together. I, I, I love this verse. It's Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 26. He says, since he, and he was Epaphroditus, was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Now some people say, well, why'd you use that verse? This guy got healed. Yes, he did. But what I like about it is that Paul doesn't say, we stood upon the word of God and we claimed healing until the devil set him free. You know, he didn't say that. He just said, God had mercy. Folks, whenever God heals, it is a merciful act. He was not required to heal anybody. It's the mercy of God in Jesus' name. So sometimes it's not his will. And we've just got to be, we got to be honest enough to accept that we don't know everything that God knows, that we don't see everything that God sees, and just trust that he knows best. How many of you believe that in Jesus' name? He knows best, okay? All right, now, let's go to some other ones. You know, I believe that one of the reasons we don't see many miracles is because sometimes we just don't have faith. I mean, you know, like I said, I don't know how much faith it takes, but it does take some faith. You do have to believe that God can heal. 
And I just wonder sometimes, you know, do we really come to church expecting God to move? I mean, how many of you got out of bed today and said, you know, Lord, you said that where two or more gathered in your name, there are you in the midst also. And if you're here, who knows what you're going to do? I mean, how many of you came into this house actually expecting to see God move miraculously? And let me just say, it's not enough to get up on Sunday morning. I wonder how many of you Saturday night took some time to just quiet yourself before the Lord and say, God, prepare my heart for what you want to do. How many times do we come in here expecting to see God move. A lot of times we come in here critical and we look at the service through a critical eye rather than coming expecting. Listen, Mark 5 34 says that Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed by your, of your affliction. The Bible tells us in Acts 14 and verses 9 through 10, this man heard Paul speaking and Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked in Jesus' name. Yet conversely, we read in Matthew 13 and verse 30, or 58, excuse me. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So folks, yes, you do have to have faith in God. When you pray for a miracle, when you pray for the supernatural, there's got to be a sense, I know that God can do this. I know that nothing is too difficult for my God in Jesus' name. Why don't we see more miracles? <laughs> Sometimes we just don't ask. I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes we don't even ask him. James chapter 4, verse 2 says, You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. A lot of us, we don't even ask. We have so much confidence in our doctors, in our medicines, in our procedures, in our operations today that we don't even ask God. And when we do ask God, it's not until we've exhausted all of the other natural outlets we have. What is wrong with putting God first and just asking Him, Lord, heal. I trust you. What's wrong with that? I don't, I don't understand. Now, don't misunderstand me. We're not one of those crazy churches that tells you if you go to a doctor, if you take medicine, if you, know, you have a procedure done, that uh, you, know, you don't have faith and, and that you're sinning against God. We don't believe that. Thank God he has raised up doctors. We've got doctors in our church. You know? We thank God for medicines and medical breakthroughs. Can you say amen? Because we believe God gave them those talents and he gave them those medical breakthroughs. We thank God for that. But what I'm saying is if I wake up one morning and I just don't feel right or something is not right, why is my first call the doctor? Why would my first call not be to the Father. What is wrong with the first step being, Father, I'm not feeling well. Something's going on. I don't feel perfect. But I'm going to get along with you before I do anything. Because you are the God who healeth me. And I'm going to believe you. And I'm going to trust you. And if, and if a reasonable period of time has passed and still nothing has happened, then maybe I will go to the doctor, depending on what the situation is, obviously. And I'm not talking about, you know, a, an emergency. Like if you cut, you know, your finger off, don't just 
hold it in a glass jar and wait a couple of years waiting for this healing to take place. You know, I'm not talking about that, but I'm just talking about the, the opportunity. What is wrong with, with just saying, hey, James says, if there's any sick among you, let him call for the elders. And they'll pray the prayer of faith and anoint you with oil. If there's any sin, it will be forgiven. And if they're sick, he will raise them up. Why would your first call be your doctor when your first call could be to the pastor, the elder, and say, can you pray for me? A lot of times we don't see miracles because we don't even ask him for them. And then you're going to love this one. Sometimes we don't see miracles because we ask with the wrong motive. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. I want the elders, the deacons, the pastors, their wives, if they would come and spread across the front. I'm going to finish up here quickly. Sometimes we ask with the wrong motives. James went on to say this in James 4 and verse 3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. Listen, that you may spend it on your pleasures. It's amazing. We, we, we don't typically hear these verses in connection with healing. But it applies. He says, you know, the reason that some of you don't get is because you ask, but when you ask, it's for selfish reasons. It's for, it's for you. It's to spend it on your pleasures. It's, it's all about you. So with that, I'm going to ask you, if you are in need of a healing today, whatever that healing may be, why do you want a healing? What's your motive? Is it so that you won't be pain-free? Or that you will be pain-free, I'm sorry. Is that what, is that what it is? I, I want to be pain-free. Why do you want to be healed? Is it so that you can have a good summer vacation? Do you want to be healed because you want to live a longer life? That's all self serving and selfish there are bigger reasons what is your motive why do you want to be healed what would you do with a pain free life if all of a sudden your pain was taken what would you do with that would you really give glory to God would you then use your pain free life to honor Christ in all you do and be a blessing to the kingdom of God or is it just because you don't want to live with pain anymore. What would you do with another 10 or 15 years should God give you that? What would you do with that time? Would it, would it just be for you or would it be used for the kingdom of God? If I had a dollar for every man and for every woman that got serious with God in the midst of a medical crisis or any crisis for that matter, and then just got really serious with God, went to church, just was hungry, got involved in Proverbs groups, got involved in ministry, only to go back to their old life once the crisis passed, I'd be a millionaire today. Everyone gets serious when there's a crisis. Ah, oh, God, I love you now. But once the crisis passes... It's just back to themselves. Why would God heal you for that? Why would he? That could be disastrous to you. 
You know, you never stop and think about it. It could very well be that your sickness is the only thing that's keeping you connected to God. I mean, isn't that the only thing that was keeping Paul humble was his thorn in the flesh. And he prayed three times, take it away. And God says, you don't understand. If I take it away, you'll get puffed up with pride. But my grace is going to be sufficient for you. And there's some of you, if it wasn't for crisis, you wouldn't even pray. You wouldn't even seek God. Now, I'm not saying that's a great way to live either, but God knows. Let me tell you one more thing. And I, I really, this really came hard to my heart. It's amazing to me through the years, the people that they sporadically come to church. When they do, it's Sunday morning only. They just pop in on Sunday morning. They don't get connected with the life of the church. They don't get involved in other lives. They don't care about anybody else's marriage. They don't care about anybody else's kids. They don't care about anybody else's finances. They just pop in on Sunday morning, get their quick fix, and then they're out the doors. They don't build relationships within the body of Christ. They don't develop friendships. They don't develop any concerns for anybody else in the church. They just come in and get what they want. And then they get sick. Then they come to the Lord and they say, Father, heal my body. And somehow I hear the Father saying to them, why should I be concerned about your body? You're not concerned about my body. If you have no concern for his body, if you have no concern for the people in this church and you're building relationships with them, and you're there to help them in their time of need, then why would God hear your cry for your body when you have no concern for His? There's more to healing than just coming up and saying, heal my body. There's a searching of the heart that must happen. What is your motive? Does God heal? Absolutely. There's no telling what He is able to do if we see healings take place. In Jesus' name. I love this. In Luke 5 and verse 17, it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Well, I know this. The power of the Lord is present to heal today. I can't guarantee anything because I'm not the Holy Spirit. But I do know he's here and he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. In Jesus' name, he is a supernatural God. Can we stand to our feet and give him praise for that today? Just lift your hands to him and just thank him that he is your healer. In Jesus' name. Come on, just thank him. Trust him. Have faith in him in the Lord today in Jesus name as Jay begins to sing this song and we're going to sing softly I'd like those of you who have any need of healing to come and find someone to pray with you today and remember it doesn't matter who prays with you because it's God that heals you